Employee of the Month is sponsored by Audible. Audible offers more than 100,000 titles written by best-selling authors and performed by world-class audiobook narrators. And in fact, all of the authors on the Employee of the Month podcast have their work featured on Audible. So you can download their work and help support Employee of the Month if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash employee. That's audiblepodcast.com slash employee. And yes, mom, you'll probably need to type in HTTP dot backslash backslash www first. And you can thank Al Gore for bringing us the internet all in one false swoop. Thanks so much to Audible and thanks to all of you for listening. of the month. This episode was recorded at the Writers Guild, so I want to thank the Writers Guild for hosting Asif Nambi and myself. This is part two to our interview because both of us wanted to continue the discussion. Asif is a senior Muslim correspondent, excuse me, he is the senior Muslim correspondent at The Daily Show, amongst other senior correspondent titles. He's been there since 2006. I can't imagine another dream job than being a correspondent on The Daily Show. So thrilled to talk more in depth with Asif about The Daily Show as well as his zillions of other projects. Hope you enjoy. I'm very, very excited to welcome Asif back. Asif Manvi, you are the star of many films, including The Daily Special, which we're going to talk about special. today. Today's special. Jesus. I just combined Fuck. two things. You just things. combined two of my gigs, The Daily Show and Today's Special, which, off, which actually... Usually people uh, uh, <laughs> don't do. Go, say they're always like, "Oh, you're on that show with John Daly." They make that mistake. That's good for John Daly. That's great for John Daly, <laughs> who's dead, I think. <laughs> you're thinking of a different John Daly. I was thinking of this improv comedian. Who's the John Daly? Who? Oh no, no, no. There used to be a guy in the in the fifties who used to do uh, "What's Your Line." Oh my God, "What's Your and, Line" and, which and, is a great and, show. And he used to, and his name was John Daly. And I think a lot of people. I always thought people were mistaking John Stewart for, for that, John, John Daly. Daly, but maybe they're mistaking him for this. Either comedian. way, or maybe they're just stupid. <laughs> yes. They just don't know how to remember a fucking simple name. <laughs> as as would be the case with me. Can we in, swear? in this sense, can we swear it would be you can you can oh, go okay, to town. Um, so yes. So today's special. Today's special, but let's let's start. I want to start um, back where we sort of left off with the first interview. Yes, I feel like we didn't get to hear enough about Zakina's restaurants. Mm. Did you write that? I did. I wrote that uh, over the course of about um, well several years. Uh, everything seems to take me a long time to write. Um, I think I'm just really lazy. <laughs> so is it is that um, what it is? Because I mean, I take forever to turn yeah, something yeah, out yeah, and another people I, I, like. I, 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 Joyce Carol Oates just published another book. Yeah, I, I'm always jealous of people who just like crank things out, and I'm thinking like they must have like a team of writers. They must have like people working because I, I don't know how to crank stuff out. Like, yeah. although on the Daily Show, you know, they crank out a show every day, which is unbelievable. So, how many writers do they have? See, they have like ten. So if I had ten writers, I'd be able to crank out. Do you feel that way? Because I do. A one-man show. Every, yes. Every every few months. <laughs> Yeah, but you have, like, Mike Daisy. He has, like, several monologues going at once or something Right, like right, right. He does, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, it took me... Sakina's restaurant took a while, but I developed it sort of with Wynne Handman and his acting class and... Who are uh, these people? Who are these people? Mm-hmm. Wynne Handman? Mm-hmm. Wynne Handman has uh, an acting class. 
Okay. Um, that he used to teach at Carnegie Hall, but now he has his own studio. I don't know somewhere. if you've heard of it, Katie. Yeah, yeah. Win Hanman is one of the most premier acting teachers in New York City. Katie, <laughs> it's not the world. Um, <laughs> just taught, uh, you know, uh, unknown actors like Dustin Hoffman and Denzel Washington We're and Raul Julia, people like that. You know, just. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't have heard of his class. You know, Joanne Woodward. I can go on. Uh, Richard Gere. You know, people like that. John Leguizamo. <laughs> um, he only has had phenomenal <laughs> students. He's only one of the most famous acting teachers in the city. No, he he's really a phenomenon, and he uh, has been teaching for about forty years. Hmm. And he, uh, I started studying with him back in the early nineties when what, I first got to New York. And what were you studying when you went in there? Um, mostly uh, crochet. Okay. And no acting. Acting is like scene. But study. what does that mean? Because to anyone else in the real world, it's hard to imagine what that what an acting class. Are we talking to people in the real world? Is that who we're talking to? I don't to? know who we're talking to. <laughs> I don't. I don't entirely um, know. No, what uh, you know, we, we studied scene. We did scene study. We did. It was a lot of scene study. A lot of working on uh, plays. Um, uh, there's a thing called the theater, um, Katie, which is. Um, uh, and there and there are people who write plays. They're called uh, playwrights, and they, uh, you, you know, people like uh, you might have heard of um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof or Death of a Salesman. These are American plays. I've heard of these. Uh, there's Arthur also Miller plays from other countries, uh, like uh, Much Ado About Nothing, which was written by Billy someone named Shakespeare, Bill right? Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So tennis the fight. condescending interview. <laughs> no, I understand what plays are uh, and who playwrights no, no, are, I but I I don't really fully understand what happens in an in acting, acting class, class because people will say well, it wasn't worth going to uh, an MFA program or doing oh, acting. Right. And so then I think, well, was it worth it for them? I mean, did it matter? Well, I think acting mostly acting class. Uh, I think it doesn't guarantee you any work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't obviously doesn't guarantee you a career. It just uh, guarantees you, hopefully, some kind of craft so that you don't suck. Or so that you suck less than you don't suck. I mean, no, you don't suck less than you suck when you go for auditions. And did, for you, what did you feel like you got out of this class that you were able to do this play? Well, Wynn Handman, who, uh, you know, he helped develop Leguizamo's first show which was called Mambo Mouth, yes. and he did it at the American Place oh. Theater. He developed uh, Bogosian's uh, first show, Drinking in America. Yes. Uh, so he was kind of, uh, in, at that time in the early 90s, sort of like the guy to go to for solo shows. Like he had very successfully developed some big, you know, Joyce Carol Oates and other people like that. A lot, a lot of writers. Sam Shepard worked oh, with wow. him for many years. And those shows were also taking off then. I do want to say that that was the beginning of that era where they were really... Right, solid and profound shows, and yeah, they yeah. were seen as quite subversive to do. Yeah, whereas now it's sort of well. I mean, like now, now everybody's got a one-man show. Yes. Uh, everyone and, and their father. Everyone and their dad. In fact, <laughs> yeah, my dad has a one-man show. It's called "My Son Wrote a One-Man Show." <laughs> um, no, but you know, I, I think that at that time I went to win, and I sort of was like, "Listen, I'm I'm a young." actor in New York City and, and I was doing I'd done a little bit of stand up because I thought that was yes. a way to get seen by agents and casting people um, 
and uh, that work out for not you? not not so great because agents and casting people don't go out at midnight to fucking yield triple in. <laughs> I do remember. I remember falling asleep during my own show at the comic strip at one in the morning. <laughs> I actually did. I performed at yield triple in for like six people, and it was like one in the morning. And I, I used to. I and, I and I was dating a girl back then. And we used to. You know, you used to have to take people down to like you have to bring people to the show oh, so I'd always like the poor thing I would drag her to these shows <laughs> and then one night I, I had a show literally where I went on at midnight oh yeah, yeah. no and, I've, and, I've and, and I, and I tried to wake her up and I was like <laughs> listen I've got to go down to yield triple in and do a show at midnight can you can you come down she was like I'm asleep like I, she was like fast asleep and I was like trying to wake her up to make her come down with me and she was like no no I think that was the beginning of the end um, of the relationship and understand yeah. that. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So I would do that, but the, but I, I didn't really love the stand up world. I kind of why is that? <laughs> because uh, most stand ups are just too happy and cheerful for me. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, that, uh, I'm being ironic for those uh, regular people out there. For, for the three people who didn't catch on to that. Um, no, it, it's it's just, you know, I think, I mean, I, I applaud my friends who have done stand-up and done it consistently, like, for the years, you know, and, and become really successful and good at it. And it's a, and I'm always jealous of them because Absolutely. I'm like, they're so fucking good. And I've done it, I do it now because of The Daily Show. Like, I'm, I sort of feel like I'm, kind of playing catch up but it's not really you know my thing it's like because yes. I came from theater so when I was doing stand up back in the early 90s I was it, I really just started doing characters and, and was gravitated towards like doing characters which then ended up sort of feeling like well I should just do a one man show instead instead and of stand up yeah I think also there's I mean you know David Allen Greer now does stand up and he started out as an actor mm -hmm, as well mm -hmm. but I was going to say that like it's when it's over there's nothing left so like you'll have this amazing show right and then you have nothing yeah after so i feel like a one man show at least like from a mortality point of view Right. You can be like, this was mine. This was mine. Although the cast party sucks for a one-person show. <laughs> yeah, your girlfriend won't even wake up for it. <laughs> she won't even come. You were all awesome. All you characters I created. Um, no, but, uh, it, it, you know, so I did that. And, and so anyway, when I went to win, I basically was like, listen, you worked with Leguizamo and Bogosian and blah, blah, blah. And you Forget gotta, Joanne Woodward. Joanne Woodward, fuck her, you know. Uh, I was like, I'm interested in your one-man show people that you did. And uh, did I just say fuck Joanne Woodward? Because that's yeah. rude. That's just rude. I don't believe I said that. Um, I don't even want to. So that's weird. I mean, I think a lot of people probably do, but <laughs> <laughs> she does seem like... Um, but uh, I have the utmost respect for her. Uh, Joanne, I have the utmost respect for you. I, I know you're not going to be listening to this. <laughs> I also, I feel like no one's ever said anything negative because there is nothing negative, so I think people knew. Yeah, yeah. It's weird to say that. It's not like she's like, she's so, exactly, she there's so nothing terrible effect. about her. That it's like, why would you say that? Why would you be so mean to Joanne Woodward of all people? <laughs> it's comical because it's not true. Um, but, uh... So yeah, so I, uh, I, I, and then Wynn took me into his class, and uh, you know, and I told that story about how I auditioned for him. Yes, uh, but but um, he he took me in, and then we developed these characters, and over a period of time, I think he started started to see that there was maybe something there that could be 
a show. And what was the show about? Because I, I didn't get to see it because I was asleep. The show was really, the show was really, because uh, you were just drugged up during the <laughs> early nineties. You were like, I was doing a lot of heroin back then, <laughs> so I did not see it. That would have made my life so much more interesting. <laughs> um, the show was. I played, uh, I think, six different characters that all um, were part of, uh, lived and sort of worked and owned this Indian restaurant, lived in and owned this Indian restaurant on 6th Street. And it was a fictional restaurant that I sort of Was that, created. you're talking about 6th Street in the East Village? Yes. So has that always been a curry row? As far as I know, I mean, I think it was from like the 70s, from, okay. like, from like the late 60s when these immigrant, these Bangladeshi immigrants yes. came over. And I think that's when it first started. But I just sort of used it as this familiar location because I used to go there all the time and have Indian food when I first got to New York. It's you not know? great Indian food. No, it's not. But <laughs> it was the only place that I could um, get free Indian food. Why did you get no, free? No, I because I, yeah. <laughs> I just run out. You know, no, I'm like, uh, can like, I get really? in on that? And you're like, no, no. It was just such an anomaly. It was just I'd never, you know, I, 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 I'd never seen I, coming from Florida and stuff. You know, I'd never seen like this sort of Indian row. This kind of just these Christmas lights and this kind of weird thing where people would come out and sort of try to get you, you know, compete with each other. Literally, the compete yes. with the guy next door to try to get you to come into his restaurant. And they do that. You know, there's like. There's actually like there's one spot on Sixth Street where you actually walk up these stairs and there's a door to your left for right, one right, restaurant, right. and there's a door to your right for another restaurant, and they are identical, identically decorated. They're covered yes. in Christmas lights. They're about the same size and two almost identical looking Bangladeshi. <laughs> I want to say maitre d's, but they're yes. not. They're yes, just no. like guys who like like you know like the managers, and they will come out and they will literally. Uh, pull you try to like get you f- it's almost like it's harassment like, I feel yeah like. they, it's like you know um it's like uh, uh they, they will grab one arm the other will grab the other arm and they will try to like get you to come into there and they'll guilt you they'll be like no 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 why would you go you know like please yeah, come here i have pressure? three children i have five children to feed you know like it's that you but because i'm interested because as an american i'm like oh they're just doing this because i'm white and they think i won't know that this is not authentic but no, like with no, you, do no. they do it? To, they do it they with do everyone. It to, they do it to everyone. It's okay, it's just good. it's just a business practice, <laughs> and they probably actually both of them own both restaurants. Oh, I see. So I'm sure it's I'm Did sure that they. That's amazing. I'm sure they're both brothers, and they both have a partnership in both. The whole thing is just one big restaurant. It's the same kitchen back there, like cooking I, from both places. I always think about that, though, when they're so small, these so, restaurants. Yeah. I'm like, you have room yeah, for yeah. a fridge. Yeah, yeah, they have just one kitchen. And then, and so, yeah, the whole thing's just, you know. But um, I set, uh, yeah, I set Sukina's restaurant down on 6th Street, because I just thought it was funny, you know. And, and then... Uh, Even though your parents owned a newspaper shop in, in yeah, my parents didn't own England. a restaurant at all, and that's yeah. what's so bizarre. But, but you know, my thinking was that I wanted to create a setting which Americans could um, was sort of familiar for Americans, and I thought an Indian restaurant, like everybody, sort of knows the concept of an Indian restaurant. So to put well, these characters in this world right. of an Indian restaurant, it kind of isn't point of accessibility. So yeah. it's very far because what I was because then the show was about you know the immigrant experience and 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 uh, and a cultural and religious exp- uh, sort of you know uh, window into this world you know and then you did that again do you feel like with um, today's special not to be confused with daily special uh, right today's special was uh, a little bit you know we had to uh, the movie was the the play just inspired the film really. okay. 
because the play is very different and the play is a collage of characters and sort of doesn't really have a narrative it's more of a it's more just a i mean there is a, a, a sort of narrative but it's it's not for not a it wouldn't work for a film you know so we mm-hmm. had to create an entire sort of narrative for a film and use an indian restaurant and then the parents and you know create that uh, yes the, the generational yeah yeah rift. but then and we had to give we had to also had to element. add a love interest and we had to add like and of course the biggest thing was that the can food. you not seem so pained by adding the love interest? i know it's terrible <laughs> to add a love interest awful can it just uh, be a romantic comedy <laughs> that you were dying to make <laughs> I was. It was funny actually because I was. I. I think I was sort of like. I think I wanted to just transfer my show and turn it into a, a movie. And then I was like, realized like, oh, I have to add all these things to in order to make it a movie. Because yes. in the original draft of the film, there was no girl. It was just me learning how to cook. Awesome. What does this <laughs> say about you? <laughs> well, because I think that I. I think I had this like sort of. Uh, um, uh, you know, there was this kind of purist streak in me where I was like, I'm not going to create some fucking, you know, just some run-of-the-mill romantic comedy. This yeah. is about food. It's about cooking. It's about the, the passion of cooking and da-da-da. And Feeding then, other people yeah, isn't yeah. the relationships. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is all about, this is going to be about that. It's going to be about a man discovering himself, you know, through cooking. And that's the, and then every producer who read it was like, well, where's the girl? And I'm like, there's no girl. It's just about this guy and he's cooking and it's, it's a self-discovery. And they were all like, yeah, there's got to be a girl. And I'm like, all right, fine. So then we added actually the whole romantic story, which I'm glad we did ultimately so because it really made the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me and my cooking. No, I don't even cook. That's what's so sad. Um, do you like food? Do you enjoy food? I only eat food. That's all I eat. But, but do you I'm, enjoy it? Um, you know, I'm not. I, I wouldn't say I'm a foodie. I'm not even a foodie. Yeah. I'll tell you what happened. I was in a sketch comedy group at the time that I was doing Sakina's Restaurant. Okay, so now we're jumping back in time. We're jumping back, yeah. We're going to do that a lot, people, so stay with us. You're 23 now, so this is when he was seven. No, I'm kidding. So when I was was doing Sakina's Restaurant at the American Place Theater in 1998, at the same time, I was also part of a sketch comedy group called The Associates. And we would perform at UCB, and we would perform at um, various venues around the city. Uh, What were the other ones? I always get suspect when an actor says various venues. I don't know. Like what, your what apartment. Was, no, what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was there? There was there was UCB, and then there was that place, what, what was the pit, but it was something else yes. before yes. the pit. Um, not Second City had a little place on the east side. I don't the know pit what. is the People's Improv Theater, which yes. has now moved to another space. But their old space yes. used to be a different... Oh, oh, oh. I used to come called, there, too. Yeah, it was called... Uh, it begins with a C or something. Anyway, whatever. So, like, we performed there, and then we performed... Uh, we I performed in LA at the uh, 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 on Hollywood at some theater on the, out there, on the boulevard there, and anyway, we did all these shows, and, and there was and, and our head writer for the sketch group was uh, a guy named John Jonathan Bynes. Oh, how neat! Okay, who who at, went to go write for the Daily Show? So he went he... to write for the Daily Show back before I was on the Daily wow. Show. So he was already a former writer of The Daily Show by the time I got there. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then John and I actually, around that time when he was writing at The Daily Show, started, you know, we were approached by this producer and then we decided like, okay, well, why don't we take the food? He, by the way, John is a real foodie. Like he's a total, like he can talk about a cup of coffee for like 45 minutes. You know, like he is a 
bona fide food enthusiast. And does he love Indian food? And he, he I mean, he loves all food. Okay. It's like he, he will just, he just loves cooking and food. So we kind of got together. I had the whole Sakina's restaurant thing in this world of like this. And he used to be a food critic for the New York press. Remember the New York press? Yes, it's still around. Right, is it still around? I think so. Uh, so anyway, so he was a food critic for the New York Press and the comedy writer. So like he would, okay. do, he had this sort of dual world that he, and so he kind of they're brought that. They're not so far off. I guess they're There's not There's tomatoes really. involved in both. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely played. Um, so uh, yeah, so anyway, so he came along. I mean, we, we sort of joined forces and... I brought the uh, you know the the world of the Indian family and that experience and uh, yeah. and then he brought this thing about and then we and then we sort of read some cookbooks and stuff Indian which which cookbooks did you well read? it's weird we we actually so I was in L A for pilot season uh, in, in like ninety something I forget when it was and and late nineties I was in L A for pilot season and. John came out to stay with me in this apartment that I was subletting at the time uh, in like West Hollywood, and we were like, we're going to write the draft of the screenplay while we're in this apartment together. That and he would come over every day, and we would just like work on. The Is screenplay. that right? Yeah. So you and, are like a budding Joyce Carol Oates. Under- <laughs> <laughs> well, we would we would do it like because we had this time frame. Like I was in LA for like three months, and he yes. was out there, and he was like, "Well, I'm here, and I will be here, and we'll just bang." We'd already written the treatment and everything, so we just bang out this draft. And so in this apartment, the guy who had sublet me this apartment, for some reason, had all these Indian cookbooks. They were just like random Indian cookbooks. And so we would just pull these cookbooks off the shelf and go through them and like find like little things in there or whatever. And we would some, sometimes we would just like, uh, you know, come up with stuff and then just check it with the cookbook to make sure we weren't full that of shit. Yeah. You know, and we were like, oh, no, no, it's right. It's totally <laughs> true. You know what I mean? Like, you can put parsley in, you know. This in, white American cook <laughs> says you can. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Anthony Bourdain's intern. <laughs> so, there were, so, yeah, so we kind of just, so we wrote it there and, and then, and then you know, and then that draft changed like a million times after that. It How was in many 2000. times did that it was change? in 2000. Okay, in 2000. Yeah. This is how long it takes because everyone tells me that it takes forever to get a movie out. I'm doing an animated short and it's taken two years yeah. for well, five minutes. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. What's it about though? That's the question. Two mice coming of age. Oh, I see. There you go. Wall Street meets Williams Park. It's never no. going to get made. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that it does take a long time, but I think it just, you know, ours was mostly about getting financing because everyone was like, it yeah. was just a very difficult sell because we were trying to make this movie that we, had we all did Indian get characters. By the way, but yeah, keep on you going. Did? Oh, yes. good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one will see that movie. Uh, two mice on Wall Street is that what you said? <laughs> no, one of the mouse was blew the whistle on an insider cheese trading scam. Oh, actually, you know what? And comes from Wall Street, and the other one is like a starving artist, and they're roommates, and they have to see if they can handle each other. Oh my God, that's totally... And then they watch their own shows, like Under the Boardwalk Empire, and the Camembert Report, and the Real Mouse Wives. (laughs) Why do you have this obsession with mice? That's interesting. Because I I had two that would not effing leave my apartment. Really? And so you decided to write about them? I couldn't stand anymore. They would come out when it was light out. I had all these... I would have like... It was horrible. They, didn't, just, they, they didn't were the same care. mice? They were the same. It was the same two mice. They didn't care. They didn't care. They just were like, hey, what's they were up? always there. And they would just eat, you just like, just like be snacking when you got home. There They'd be like in your, in your bag of Doritos. I was watching television and one of the mice was just sitting in the living room while I was watching TV. Like it didn't even try to like coyly walk around the sides. It was like literally like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm watching. 
I'm watching Melrose TV with Place. you. And I just was like, you don't pay rent. Like, I just yeah, had this moment. But they were with me for about nine years, so that was why I went ballistic. And so you were like, I'm going to write about <laughs> you guys and make you famous. Wow. I hope they don't sue you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Okay. So, like, so then I feel like, so, okay, so Sakina's restaurant was really about a character-driven piece where it enabled you to play all these different characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then today's special is this whole narrative where you're starring in a romantic comedy. Right, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a different sort of animal altogether and, and required a whole different skill set. To what extent is it autobiographical? The like, movie? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the sense that, like, like uh, there are things about it that, you know, the relationship with the parents and all that stuff. Yeah, but talk about that a little bit, because your parents seem super nurturing that they, like, moved to Florida from England to make sure that you could start your career. Uh, They didn't move to... That's them calling you right now. Oh, that's them calling me right now. They were like, please get off this show. Did they call you daily? (laughs) We've had a lot of Indian Um, American moms and dads calling to find out if you're single. Let's see who this is. Oh, my manager. I'll call her back. Okay, I would um, say. I mean, or she can come on the interview if you want. Um, so, uh, no, they didn't move to Florida because of me. They moved to okay. Florida because of them. They, they, we were just. It was, it was the '80s, and and my dad always wanted to move to the states. I didn't know that. It wasn't to, to help you start. No, no, career. no. It was nothing. Okay. To, no, they, they didn't. They, they were like, uh, we're going to America because. And at the time, oh, this for, makes me like them more. So they were just focused on themselves. Yeah, they were just like they were like you'll be selling all of your stuff, and we're gonna move to America. I literally sold like we sold everything. We had like a huge garage sale. We sold our entire house. Like like I sold my clock radio. We sold like our bed. And, holy this shit! Now they're calling me. I'm sorry, Chad Apatow's on the other line. I'm gonna just have to hold for a second. Who's this? One? I'm um, so curious now. Who's calling now? Mom, sell. <laughs> Do you want to pick it up? <laughs> it's literally my mom. Do you want to put your mom on air? No, no, no. That would not be good. She's already just on air the other day. We, did, I did, I did a, no, I did a thing for the Cooking Channel, and I had my parents come up. Yes, I. Okay, so I had heard that through a producer at the Food Network. Yes. We were going to oh, do something there. James. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we made a uh, we made a special that's going to air in May called so Today's Special New York Indian. You can see why I was confused then. Right. No, no, not really. Um, <laughs> just looking so, for an out. <laughs> just looking, you're like, you're like, you see how I was confused because both things are called today's special. So I would naturally I refer to them the as name. daily special. Doesn't make any sense at all. Wait, so um, today's special. special New York Indian, and it's going to air in May on the Cooking Channel. It's awesome. And uh, that that was we just shot that, and it's basically a, a, me and Mother Joffrey. So Mother Joffrey, for those of you who may or may not know. Uh, is a huge cooking star. She has written like 30 co- Indian cookbooks. She's got seven James Beard Awards. She's, she has 10 writers also on She has her. 10 writers <laughs> that follow her everywhere she goes. Um, and she plays my mother in today's special. Right. Because she's also a terrific actress and started off as an actress, but then ended up as a cookbook person because she couldn't make it as an actress and like in the 60s when she wow. first got here on the how fifth. depressing is that because she's well she was kind actress. of like she was kind of like i'm not you know like people are like i'm gonna go do whatever i'm gonna yes. wait tables or whatever the whole day she was like i'm gonna write a cookbook but she's also the opposite in that case where like she's so good and so ambitious that she's like all right i'm not getting enough here let me accomplish something that i have control over right right in another so area. i guess yeah i mean she, the way she tells it she was basically like um she was writing, you know, she just wrote a cookbook of, like, stuff that she ate when she was a kid. 
in Delhi, like in India, like when she was a child, she was that a food diary? <laughs> yeah, it was like, like it was five like, items. It was like it was no, it was like it was like all these f- things that her her parent and her, her family made when they when she was children. She wrote this book, and it's called An Invitation to Indian Cooking, and it's basically the first real Indian cookbook that was written in the United States. It sounds very sweet, but most Americans <laughs> think of Indians as starving, so it also sounds slightly yeah. cruel to like rub in the faces of all these poor children who are like, oh, I was only to feel able to no, fill three no, pages. No, 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 India has one of the most diverse cuisines in the world. Yes, right. So it's like, you know, I mean, the people who... Um, Cuisines, languages, I mean, yes. you, you have... You, there's, there's, you know, there's states. literally, like, the, the great thing about it is that, like, there's... And that's, I mean, in this special, you will learn much of this stuff as well. Like, most of the Indian food that people eat in America yes. in Indian restaurants is not really Indian food. It's Gujarati. Well, it's North Indian. It's, it's, but it's not really, because there is no sort of Indian food. There's like, there's, all the food in India is regional. So it's like you eat what is, is regional to you and also uh, relevant culturally and religiously to your who you are. Like, like people in Gujarat don't eat this... It. It all has it has a lot of rice. There's a lot of rice, the and there's a lot of spice, spice and rice. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, like like you eat stuff like okay, so like if you live from, from Gujarat, you yeah. would not eat the same kind of food as if you were from Punjab right. or anywhere or or Calcutta or whatever. Like you would eat different food, and also like you would eat different food if you were Hindu versus Muslim versus Christian or whatever. Like you would eat different types of food. Right. So it's all it's huge. Like like so and chicken tikka masala, like everyone talks about chicken tikka masala as like the it's not even a real Indian dish. Like it was invented by Indians oh, in England at a restaurant to to make for Westerners. Wait, that's I always want to know that. Like when you go into the sort of quintessential American Indian restaurant. Yeah. Indian yeah. American. Indian American. Excuse me. <laughs> That was a horrible Freudian slip. <laughs> Indian American. I don't know how Freudian it was. It was just a slip. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wasn't keep even, Freud out of it. It wasn't, it wasn't it. even Freud's fault. That wasn't <laughs> totally. Freud's fault. That was more like, Freud gets blamed like for a racist enough. slip. <laughs> it was just racist. Um, well, I want to know how many other things were like created, like tiki masala. Yeah, like a lot of that stuff. I mean, I think a lot of the, uh, you know, like, like, like all the spices and everything are obviously Indian, but... A lot of the dishes are just made up for Westerners, you know? They're not, like, things that you would eat if you actually lived in India. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, anyway. If you think of more, will you tell me? I will. Because I find that stuff very, 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 very I'll just call you whenever I think of stuff. I'll or just text. Call yeah, or, yeah. or have your mom call me, I feel like. <laughs> uh, but, no, anyway, so I did learn some stuff about Indian cooking through the course of making the film and then, like, making the special for the cooking channel and stuff. So just to quickly tell you, the cooking channel special is me and Mother Joffrey basically going around New York to all the Indian restaurants and just talking about Indian food and the history of Indian food, and it's going to be pretty cool. It's, that sounds super fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, then we're, and then we're using, we're using clips from the movie it. in it as well, and so it'll be good. Oh, that will be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, And now, yeah. the film, did you enjoy doing your own film? I mean, you've been in these huge, big-budget films. Yeah. No, it was the most... Honestly, like other than doing Sakina's restaurant, it was the most reward. It was like really rewarding because it was like, fuck. I mean, I can think of a simple solution, like turn, so, like, turn it off. off. Yeah, That's what I, I did. That, right? Otherwise, I'd be having a fan call from Woody Allen right now and all these other people. Oh my God, hold on. Who's that one? It's just somebody that I'm meeting for drinks later. Who is she? Let's <laughs> let's see what you write to her. I'm not writing anything. I'm just I'm just basically turning off this phone. I think I'm gonna. But you have this, two phones. I have two phones. This is why, audience, there's so much ringing going on. Because well, I have two different cell phones, and both of them are ringing off the hook right now. Well, oh, it was three calls, and one was your mom. But So, 
tell, yeah, walk me through a day in the life of being Asif Manvi. Oh my God, that's uh, why do you have two phones? It's it's because um, the FBI only can track one phone at a time. They can't track two phones. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> Like, oh my goodness, what a smart idea. And then I was like, but nobody wants to track me from the FBI. <laughs> that was amazing. I was like, oh. <laughs> you really, I saw your face. I compl- you were completely Honestly, going with it. I mean, what's even worse is that. I was almost insulted that you didn't think that was a joke. You were like, of course, you're you brown and Muslim. You should be being tracked okay, by the so FBI. Okay, so you should be further insulted for multiple reasons. <laughs> my parents working in the government, I growing <laughs> myself growing up in D.C., knowing people who work for the FBI. <laughs> Like, there's so many reasons. My brother's a peace activist. Because you literally like, you're like, uh-huh, okay, all right, yeah. So what's, so tell us more. There's so many um, reasons you should feel insulted that was great. right now. Uh, I just I met Oh, I, no, in the day of, I don't know, I mean, every day is different because literally, um, you know, I, I mean, the, the one thing that is consistent, I guess, right now for me in uh, the last few years is The Daily Show, which is like, you know, I go to The Daily Show every day. And so they have to show up there at some point during the day and, and kind of You do, do go work. in every day. Yeah, so oh, what yeah. is that like as a correspondent? I mean, as a writer, there's been plenty of stuff about what it's like to be a writer on The, sh- on the Daily yeah, Show yeah. or SNL or sh- shows like that. But as a correspondent, are you there every day? Yeah, we're there every day. and uh, All of you. All of us are there every day. And, you know, there's always, it, it, it varies. Sometimes literally there's nothing to do okay. because there's nothing, you know, and you're basically checking your email and like, and just like hanging out. Watercoloring. And, and working on your own projects. And okay. then other times, there's a shitload to do. And it's like you're in the middle of an edit. And, you know, you've shot a field piece. Or you're in the middle of a pre-production on a field piece. Okay. Uh, or you're shooting a field piece. You're in, like, sometimes... The most of the work is, happens, you know, when you're off in, like, Oklahoma or Kansas or whatever, well, talking to somebody, you you know, interviewing people. What's the, what's the, yeah, so when... Do people still... Still, you are able to get people who don't know about The Daily Show? Uh, you know, I mean, there are the occasional people who don't know about The Daily Show, but it's rare. And and most of the time people know about The Daily Show. They may not be people who watch The Daily Show regularly, but yeah. they are familiar with it and they know. But, you know. So I how think, does that change how you do interviews? Because the, you, you're, you can't. Well, we're never secretive about it. We're never, we're yes. not, we're not, we don't do Ali G style sort of guerrilla interviews right. in that way, you know, like, like, like they, you think you're talking to CNN, but you're really talking to The Daily Show. But I know? mean, even since the, there's been a cultural shift where people are worrying that it could be that, even if it's not, meaning that I would think people now are more savvy, but also more <laughs> nervous that you're going to do something that you're not doing, which is trip them up. Well, yeah, people because are, I mean, of because of Borat and because of the right. Show I mean, people like people that. recognize that we are a comedy show, and they and you know when we sit down with people, we they know that we're a comedy show, yeah. or whatever. But um, do they get nervous to go on it? They do. Dude? They do yeah. get nervous. But I think that uh, people override their own nervousness by which by sort of like the idea that they're going to get their story out, and you know, and, and people want to say. Is it you know, that we, they want to get their story out or be on television? I well, mean, they I want to be on television, okay. and they want and they want to, uh, you know. Often, there are people who are passionate about something or feel very strongly about something, or you know what I mean. Like, and they and they but, want, and nobody else is really talking to them. That's the thing. Like, often we're talking to people who no one else is really talking to. Yes. So. They're like, yeah, absolutely. I want to be on TV, and I want to talk. You know, I mean, I I, went, I interviewed this cartoonist in LA one time. 
who had written an anti-Muslim cartoon uh, with a superhero named Pigman, wow. who was killing Muslims and sort of you know, and he was dressed like a pig, and 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 this whole idea that you know, and and, and nobody was interviewing this guy. Like you know, he had this real. I so his, why. his 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 exactly his his kind of racist passion was yes. so great that he really wanted to talk to us, you know, and tell us why he was doing this. And I guess we were the only people that really took him up on it, you know. Do you always have a knack for reading things like a newscaster and giving it gravitas the way that you do? Were you good at that before you started? No, the Daily Show? no. It's it's a thing that you know. When I auditioned for the Daily Show, I just did the Stephen Colbert impression. And and that was it. And uh, I brought and, something from Sesame Street. I wanted to see if you could read that. Really? With gravitas. With gravitas <laughs> and, and Daily Show askness. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let me see. Hold on. What is this now? This is. Uh... Elmo and his friends are going to the color carnival. We okay. hope you'll come along. The color carnival has so many beautiful colors. Let's name all the different colors we see. All right. So you want me to read that like this a Daily is Elmo Show and his car- as a Daily yeah. Show correspondent? Yeah. All right. Let's see. Hold on. I have, to, I have to pretend like I have headphones on and I'm in the voiceover booth. Yes. So, and all right, here we Asif go. And just put his glasses on so he looks much smarter. So I look much smarter now. But he still I, looks like an Indian American <laughs> as opposed to an American Indian. Apologize for uh, Here we go. Ready? And so, Elmo and his friends are going to the color carnival. We hope you'll come along. The color carnival has so many beautiful colors. Let's name all the different colors we see. I see... That was out. excellent. That was that was amazing. That was the Daily was Show amazing. reading for that. Um, who who are the Indian-born, British-raised American actors of the Dowdy Bora faith that you looked whoa, up to? Whoa, whoa, what the? <laughs> that is not a question that you just came up with off the top no, of your I head. No, I couldn't you remember. You looked it. that up. You looked that up. That yeah. even Dowdy Bora, you like. <laughs> I am not. Most people don't even know what a dowdy bora is. It sounds awful, doesn't it? It sounds like it doesn't sound awful. <laughs> it doesn't sound any more awful. I, I, first of all, I think that all of the religions. I wish that the most religious of all of our groups, hmm. monotheistic or otherwise, would go together on their own continent. Oh, really? And just and just hang out there. Yes. yes I right. feel like they have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> they can like impregnate their nine-year-old daughters. And oh, yeah. Have all these rules, and then the rest of us are sort of ambivalent. Just, <laughs> Stay here, and I think it would be fine. I think the world would be fine. I'm just, I can't. I'm still on the nine-year-old daughter thing. <laughs> it's so disturbing. I know, but it's like it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really feel that an an Orthodox, well, a Hasidic Jew has much more in common with a fundamentalist Muslim. With, yeah. A, you know, an evangelist. Well, I think, I think, Christian. I think, honestly, in the world. Uh, you know, to get political about it, I guess, whatever, like, like I think in the world right now we are dealing with uh, fundamentalism versus moderate, yes. moderation, you know, and, 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 and I think that not only in, uh, in the Middle East, but oh, I think no, no, here, in, here as well and everywhere in the world, I think country. there's this rise of, of fundamentalism. And if you actually look at sort of, you know, Al-Qaeda, and the neoconservatives. Can you just say it with an accent? Al Qaeda. Well, you want Al Qaeda. Irish accent? Which one? Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda. You like that one? Which? <laughs> I just like the way that the Al Qaeda Italian. Al Qaeda, sweetheart. Al Qaeda. It's an old Jewish agent. <laughs> um, so. Uh, 
I mean, I think if you look at like the Al Qaeda and and you look at the neoconservatives in this country, yes, they actually hate the same people. No, that's what I just which said. Which is right, right? They hate. <laughs> it is. Is that what you said? Cause, I meant that I felt that they have more in common, right, right. Than, than they do. A Hasidic Jew has much more in common with someone who's in Al Qaeda mm -hmm. than that Hasidic Jew has to do you're with gonna me. Get, you're going to get letters from okay. Al Qaeda, by the way. <laughs> And Hasidic Jews. Well, if you would like we don't have anything in common with the Hasidic. <laughs> what are you talking about? But I feel like the fundamentalist black and white didactic thinking yeah. Is, yeah, is really what yeah, I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that the principles of homophobia and mm -hmm. um, sexism, like blatant sexism, and also this xenophobia mm -hmm. is rampant across. Yeah. Those And I feel like the rest of us who are sort of like, okay, no Botox, no burkas, but I'm not really <laughs> sure about anything else. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, who are sort of ambivalent and, and frankly, like not involved. Like mm -hmm. we've all disengaged. That's why these conservatives have been able, and I don't mean conservative in a normal way. I mean fundamentalist and extreme. Yeah, well, I think it's also, I think they've, they've utilized <clears throat> fear yeah. as a real tool. You know, when you're, when you're afraid of the boogeyman, whoever that boogeyman right, is. Right, they share that you know, same yeah, fear Yeah, that, that really is, is the best way to sort of, you know, create... Um, to divide the world and you know kind of get people to I mean to hate each other and you know just you know whatever so I think that they're really effective at that they're really effective at scaring the shit out of people I think this will be a good segue to the, mm. my next question which is what um do you feel like you're pigeonholed as an actor it's a leading question uh do I, I mean I think I think it's <laughs> I think it's it's always you know less so than I used to be right because I've become kind of famous in the sense that people know me. You from can the daily say show. it. Your mom calls you during an interview. <laughs> and yet life is be insane. honest. Um, mom, I'm doing an interview right now. I can't. Yeah. Um, no, but it, you know. So I guess because of that, I have. Uh, you know, people sort of—it's less. It's less so than if I was just. People didn't know who I was as much. But I also still feel like I still deal with the fact that uh, I'm brown first in Hollywood. Even within that. in Hollywood, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think that you know, there's one thing people love is white people on television and in movies. Particularly white men. Yeah, and so ultimately, at the end of the day, you can't even get the romance part in the movie. You right. Know, I mean, I will. I will it. still go in for. You know, I was I'll go in fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I can't get that. And there I am. There I am. They're like, no, you get to have a girl. I don't want to get. I want the food. That's what I'm like. Like Jordy said, you like, weren't a foodie. Was a weird women fall on that paradigm? Not high. Oh <laughs> uh, no! Then John convinced me. You know, John was like, when we started working together, then he was like, no, no, no. It's gonna be about the cooking, and I was like, "You're right. It should be about the. We are. We're not gonna mix it, you know." That's, and then it all, then it just evolved into that. I'm only stewing as like a thirty-something female in New York, where you're like, "Of course, you guys felt that way." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for limiting the number of acting jobs once again. Um, <laughs> no, but it was. Um, where were we? What were we talking about? We were talking about what it's like to be an Indian boy, oh, so yes, so American I... actor of the Dowdy Bora faith <laughs> in Hollywood. Um, you know, there's, I don't think there are any other Dowdy Bora actors. I think, and and and, uh, um, you know, uh, my that community. I say my community, but I'm not really. I, I sort of don't even really do anything in the Dowdy Bora community. You don't. You don't feel a strong. No, no, not, yeah. not not really. Uh, 
but within that community, and, the, and and you know, I think I'm the only one that actually is doing what I'm doing. And yet you're you're <laughs> kissing them goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, great. That's a yeah. great tactic. I mean, I think it was the only way to do it. I don't think you could if you were. It's it, Dowdy Boros a kind of like uh, Hasidims. You know, they have a very they have a tight knit community, and it's a very. Uh, it's 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 they're not you know they're, they're conservative to some degree you know and they and so they're not exactly like people aren't going off and becoming actors you have to sort of disengage from the community in order to become an actor in some way right 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 you know they're all becoming shopkeepers and or, or they're becoming I think that's a stretch to compare them specifically just to the Hasidic it could be lots of yeah yeah or, yeah but I think I think I think in terms of like what I mean is like they have a very particular community with a particular way like of dressing, Amish. a particular way of oh. like, you know. What like, do they wear? <clears throat> like a clown suit. No. They, <laughs> they actually, and I'm like, really? <laughs> you're like, I just really? nodding my head. No, they wear, I mean, the, it's, it's a particular sort of, I mean, it, it's, you know, men in Islam, you know, you generally have beards and all that stuff, but also like there's a particular sort of uh, uniform that they wear in terms of like the white, Hats and the, you know, like in, even in the mosque. Is that the purity Daddy. wearing white? Well, it's so funny. I mean, this is something that, like, I think Muslims would understand, which is basically like I was raised, I was, I always went to mosque and stuff with the Dowdy Bora within the Dowdy Bora community, yeah. which is very traditional and like you gotta, you know, wear certain white. It's we all dress in white and all this stuff. And then when I went to like a regular mosque where like regular Muslims go, I realized like you could just go in and put like a handkerchief on your head. Yeah. And I was like, what? This is insane. You know, they I, I was like, cleaning bills alone. I was like, oh my God, these people are heathens. You know, it was like it was just like such a bizarre thing for me to to sort of see that. I know? couldn't be Dowdy Borough because I would stain everything. You would, you would. <laughs> just from... like, are your parents <laughs> practicing? Are they religious? Yeah, my mom is. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think people tend to become more religious as they get older. Yes. and so my mom and dad are probably more religious today than they were when when I was a kid. You know, but they they have a community in down in Tampa, and they they go. To Is that the, your way of telling yourself it's okay that you haven't given them grandchildren? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like look at my Daily women. Show pieces. Those are your grandchildren. <laughs> Do you feel that? No, way? No, they're not. Uh, what? Do you feel like you you have your work, and that to have children in the family would somehow get in the way? I, I used to feel that way. I, I think that. Um, I feel less that way now, but I'm also in my 40s, and so now I'm sort of like, yeah, better, uh, you know. I think, I think you, as 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 you sort of, is that because you feel more confident? Yeah, I think, I think, I think also, I just your mortality more. I think it's a question of like my career is in a different place than it was 10 years ago, and so uh, 10 years ago I was just kind of like trying to like get, just make it in some way, you know, and so there was no time for like wife and kids but then I think as you get you know like like for guys I think it really is tied into like their you know like where you are in terms of like financially stable and da, 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 with, and then you sort of, sort of like maybe start some guys like, there are a lot of guys in our field who are, no, are right, married right I think okay like, maybe I shouldn't, I, shouldn't talk for, <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't talk for guys in general because I always get in trouble when I do that um, but I uh, I think for me like marry really young you yeah yeah I mean? yeah yeah but I think for me uh it was. It was just. I was just trying to get up the hill, you know. Yes. So it was like I didn't have any any room really to like think about that other stuff. And just out of curiosity, like, so now you go out for all roles. It doesn't have to just be like, oh, can he just play the Pakistani cab drivers? You were yeah, yeah. About. No, I don't. I haven't gone out for the Pakistani cab driver. 
in a while. Actually, I probably should. Golf, Since you've been able to afford to take <laughs> right. um, that should have been the but I, but <laughs> no, yeah, like you know, it's funny because I go out for all roles, and that's true, and like yes, great, but then at the end of the day, they're like, you know what he'd be great at is the Pakistani cab driver. You know, like I feel sometimes it's like, it's like they, they, uh, you know, there, there's a weird sort of thing where you get seen for stuff. Um, but you're still falling, you know, again, it's yes. like you're still overcoming the hurdle of ethnicity on some level, you know, I, less so from where I am now. Like, would they put you in Aziz starring in a movie? No, because it would have to be a, uh, it wouldn't be a big budget film because two brown guys That's leading a film are yeah. not, you know. I mean, I, I pitched a movie uh, that I uh, had come up with to a producer here in New York um, and he was like, I love this story, I love this idea. Um, if you want this to be a big budget, if you want to do this like on a larger scale, you should reverse your role with the white guy and oh, make him the lead and you the second. Interesting. And then you can get like a big, um, you, can, you can make it a bigger film. Otherwise you're gonna end up making it a, small, in, a smaller indie film. You know? And what would happen if you added a female to that quotient? It'd become even oh, smaller. Oh, no, there's only food in it. Okay. It's all food. <laughs> in fact, the female is covered in food. So that's now, I've, I've, I've now she doesn't speak. evolved to that level where now I have women in my movie that's covered in food. The Fruit of the Loom characters have more <laughs> success than you do. So um, tell me about this. So you've been developing other movies in addition to today's special. Well, I have some ideas for, for films that, I mean, you know, I've been. Uh, sort of, yeah, I mean, I've been doing a lot of, uh, Daily Show takes up a lot of time, the TV, I've been writing a book. Uh, what's your book on? Um, I'm writing a book of essays to, um, because nobody ever does that. You know what right. I thought? There's nobody has so ever written a book. so few comedians have books out right now about essays. I was like, nobody, you know what nobody's done is a book with, of comedic essays. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to break that wide open. Good for break you. Break that wide open. So I'm going to write a book of comedic essays but I'm just gonna you were just in a book also of comedic essays I was yes or Which it just one? came out you probably wrote it a long time what ago was it, what was it called I have to say that I didn't <laughs> participate it was on sale for the first day at the Strand last week um, now we're gonna have to edit is it, it wait it, 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 <laughs> <laughs> shit now we're gonna have to edit it oh you weren't gonna edit this because I thought for sure you would what, I was hoping you would. What was the name of the book that you were most recently in? That's a book of comedic essays, and you give bad advice. Oh, it's it's called. Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. It's 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 called. Uh, it's it's like an advice book, and yeah. it's all you're actors and it. comedians. Yeah, you're I know. In it, yeah, I know. I know. Um, that was a fun thing to do. That I'm was just a, a sad, bitter thing person from afar, but you're in it. No, no, I I but it was a while ago. That was like three years ago. We, that well, book but it's came. just... It's just now? Yeah, so maybe okay, it's a different yeah. book. That was something where I... <laughs> I've sort of been in a couple of books like that, which is like, you know, just these random books that... All were, memorable. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't read, you know, so it's like hard to... Um, but I, I did a... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a series of uh, advice... Uh, and I'm forgetting what the title of the book is right now, but yeah. it's it's it definitely will. endorsing it. Um, Wait, so, so what's yours? What, what, who who is publishing your? Can you talk about that or no? Uh, Chronicle Books okay, is neat. publishing it. Um, That's exciting. I don't, I don't have a title or anything yet. I just have a couple of essays. I'm thinking it should take place in a restaurant. You think so? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, 
No. Just like like you, I, you know, I'll just take recipes that I grew up with and just put them in like a book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just take like, and then you know, Especially an invitation. English food, English food is so <laughs> delicious. People will be lining up for that. I used to have fish and <laughs> chips. Um, you can no. have one titled American Indian, and that'll be about all the racist Jews in Hollywood yeah, and how they discriminated true. against yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Even the unsuccessful ones like myself. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so yeah, as of what else is coming up? You have The Daily Show, which is a Daily phenomenal show, gig. And then uh, this book, uh, and then, um, you know. Um, can we talk about The Daily Show a little bit more? I have a couple of movies that I've done. Oh, what are the movies that are coming out? I've done a few movies. There's one called Premium Rush that's coming out in July, I think. Okay. Uh, which is with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, awesome. And um, it's a bike messenger. Uh, and, and what's his name's in it? Um, Mike Shannon, who's so great. I just so have to nod great. my head and say yes. I don't know who's in it. You don't yeah. know who Mike Shannon is great. He was nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, no, no. I know who Michael Shannon is. Oh, all right. You do. Oh. I thought you meant that I would know the name of the bike messenger movie. Oh, no. It's called no. It's called Premium Rush. It, uh, and it's all about like New York bike messengers, and it's an That's action thriller sort of movie. It's fun. It's it's. I I, I've that. seen the trailer. As someone who bikes in New York, I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. It's got a lot of special effects and stuff, and like crazy bike stunts and all this stuff. So Michael, that's. And Michael Shannon is a phenomenal actor. Yeah, he's really great. He's great. Um, he so he plays. He plays the bad guy. In it, and does uh, he ever not play the bad guy? Yeah. Like, can well, you see him? Yeah, I don't know. I guess he does, right? I know him from like New York stage, you know, like I, yes. I, like that's how I know him. So he's, I'm, I'm, yeah. Anyway, so he's great. And then um, uh, I have a, a movie called God's Behaving Badly that I did, which is based on the book called God, the book God's Behaving Badly. And it which stars is all George about, Burns and Morgan Freeman. It does. It does. <laughs> no, it's it's a crazy movie about all these Greek gods all living in a brownstone in New York. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I can't even like afford what the gods have. <laughs> <laughs> where is it? Where where's the brownstone? I think it's like in a village somewhere. Please, but I don't know where it is. Bensonhurst or something. But it's like it's like got this crazy cast of uh, actors. Um, you know, uh, everybody from Oliver Platt to John Turturro to Chris Walken to like. Sharon so Stone to like oh. it's crazy it's like crazy you know it's gonna be like Valentine's Day but it's yeah. all the gods right but it's all these and it's all these special effects it's all these like gods doing crazy stuff from the brownstone from this brownstone it's like it's like all the Greek gods retired into this brownstone and they've just been sitting around for like eons and now they've all decided to be gods Whoever again re- but it's based on a book. It's based on a book. <laughs> Had to be really successful, though, to <laughs> walk in with this pitch. Because <laughs> that is a crazy pitch. <laughs> it's a crazy pitch. It's a crazy pitch. But, the, but the book is set in London. And so they've, like, sort of New Yorkized the book because the Americans can't watch movies set in other places. Is other that right? America, Especially apparently. when you have gods in it. I mean, yeah, they yeah, can't yeah. just They're be like, in London. Can't imagine gods <laughs> living in London. Why couldn't they just. <laughs> I love how I love how Americans are always the only country in the world where like we have to take other shows from other places yes. and and make them American. Like we can't yeah. imagine watching a show that is set anywhere other than America. But all of our but I okay so all of our television comes from basically from England and then maybe Israel I would say also has a lot no, no yeah. more shows that we rip off. Yeah. But then what's odd is like Downton Abbey. It's huge, right? Here, but it can't be huge there because it's, it's huge there. It is also in it's England. A soap opera. Oh my god, it's so huge! But you know what? It's it, here's the thing about, and I'm a huge Downton Abbey fan. Me too. It's funny that you bring it I'm up obsessed. because I watched the first season like I was completely obsessed with it. Then I watched the second season. Not I was good. great, and then towards the end of the second Not season, 
I felt like they started jumping the shark and they started doing things. And I'm like, now this is becoming an American soap opera. It's becoming Dynasty. And I'm like really worried because they kept an integrity to it in the first season and most of the second season that I thought was like, and it started to slide like halfway through the second season where I was like, oh, they're going into this really melodramatic soap opera place. It upset me too because I was like, when I had my mansion as a countess, (laughs) I didn't have 18 maids sitting in my hallway. This is not realistic. (laughs) But I am obsessed with it and I'm obsessed with picking it apart. So two, two last questions. One is, being here, do you feel like you've hurt your career? Being here, meaning in this um, in conference this room, room with the you? Guild? Uh, <laughs> that's an easy answer. That's yeah, a quick answer, yeah. yes. But it, being in New York versus being in Los Angeles. No, because I didn't. I didn't really make that choice. I think the. I think um, the business made that choice for me hmm. because whenever I went to LA, I would never get work, and when I was in New York, I would get work all the time. So that's stayed, my story, also, except for both cities. Whenever you wouldn't get work. <laughs> I would, here's the thing, I would, what's happened to me is like, I would go to LA and invariably get a job in New York. If I wanted to get a job in New York, I had to go sit in LA for a month and it would like, somebody would turn around and be like, oh, you got a, a day on Law and Order or like whatever, you know what right. I mean? Like, like right. it would like, and I would come back to New York because, and so like something in the universe just told me like, be in New York. And, and I would go to LA and people would be like, you're such a New Yorker, you know? Yes, People are like, I fucking too. grew up in England. So right. I don't even know like how <laughs> this all, I don't even know how it, translated to them but they were like you're such a new yorker um when I so yeah LA, i just i auditioned for the daily show when you were in la yeah you auditioned for the daily show yeah you oh. can tell i got it like just like you did well did they did they yeah. ask you to audition or you just auditioned <laughs> yes, no i just showed up <laughs> that's exactly right i showed up and started knocking uh, katie there are no auditions <laughs> for the daily show i am auditioning for the daily show we are drunk um, and hungover from our <laughs> Emmy win. Can you please leave our hotel room? Yeah, okay. That's great. Did, um, what did you do for them? What did you do? I came in and did a monologue. A monologue, like, like from Henry VIII? Yes. It oh, was okay. probably from you or someone else. That's what they have you do. That's what they have people do. Yeah, yeah, they have, they have, uh, yeah, I know Jessica Williams, our new correspondent, newest correspondent, yes. uh, auditioned with one of my pieces. And yeah. it was weird watching her do it. Because I was at the show that, you know, we were in this office and we're watching it on the monitor and we're watching her doing her audition with John. It's one of the pieces I did and I was like, oh, she's way better than I am. And, and I was like actually insecure. How bizarre is that? Like I was actually like, oh, fuck, they're going to fire me. Because <laughs> she, she was really good. You. And I was like, ew. And, and I'm like, no, Asif, you already have a job. You already work they here. They're not going to like. they have done that before, Asif. Yeah, they're like, we are now. Her audition was so that. good, Asif, that we realize um, we're going to let you go. <laughs> this was, I'd say, four years ago that I auditioned. So oh, right, it was right. A yeah, long, yeah, yeah, they yeah. were like looking for a woman at the time, and then they hired another man. That's what happened. Yeah. They hired Gad. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, they were looking for like a, um, a fat Jewish guy. And Instead. So the, yeah. No, they were only looking for a fat Jewish guy. I don't know why you even went in, because maybe somebody told you. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm practically there. <laughs> <laughs> so mean, um, but she is great. And now you have a much more diverse uh, repertoire of um, repertoire is not the correct word, but you have a, a much more diverse cast. I would say yes, much more I diverse. Think, I think it has it has channels. become yeah, it has become more diverse. I was the first non-white correspondent. Yes, I remember. I thought that was also odd that they didn't hire someone who was from the Middle East. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, they uh, they wanted. I think they wanted to save money. 
Okay. So they were like, let's just get somebody who's like on the Upper West Side. No, but I meant I was surprised that they hired someone who was Indian and not someone. Who oh, was you from, mean that yeah. way? Like, yeah. like, like, not literally from. Yeah, I, I don't think I think it was honestly like I that day was a crazy day and I just went in and auditioned and John gave me the job that day and That's amazing. I think it was mostly just like um, I looked. Middle East. and I don't think you're also a phenomenal actor. Well, I think I think I looked <laughs> enough for the part, and also I don't really think that they intended it for it to be a regular gig. Like I think oh, wow. when I was hired, it was a one-off gig, and they were like, "We'll just do the, we'll have this guy come in, do this bit, boom, done. You know, that'll be it." And it then it was John that kept bringing me back. John just oh. kept calling and being like, "Hey, have him back on the show. Have him back on the show. Have him back on the show." But you are so good, and I think that was the acting that he must have seen. I think he they were very specifically also not. He saw Pascal. Uh, he was very specifically uh, looking for an actor who he could um, call Gunga. I see. Um, no, but he uh, <laughs> <laughs> who could get chai for him whenever he wanted. Um, no, but I think he really, uh, I think there, there was that thing. Like, they were like, we're not looking for comedians. We're actually looking for actors when, I, they, when they hired me. But that does make sense to me and, uh, because what Carell and Cordry and um, Colbert did best, mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're obviously hysterical, mm -hmm. but they are also more actors, I would say, than like stand-ups or something like that. And yeah. I feel like that's what comes off is that they can act, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. not always the case with comedians. Right, right. Yeah. So I can I, see why they would want an actor. Yeah. I think even though, you know, we versus don't someone who's inherently brilliantly funny, funny like, like myself. Like yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, too bad you're not a bad Jewish guy. Totally be on the show right now. <laughs> I'm um, going to call my parents and complain <laughs> how they messed um, me up in one other way. <laughs> I think that yeah, I think I think the uh the, the, I think the acting thing, you know, even though we only play that one character I think it uh, it is actually a character. You know, people often there's like, oh, your Daily Show correspondent is sort of just you doing. You know, it's like your name or whatever. You know, but that is my last question. What is your last question? This, what? Is, <laughs> this is the last question. Make it good. But what is it like playing a character that you know is not you, mm -hmm. but happens to have your name? Yeah, it's weird. It, it was surreal because, um, and that's that. It's it's a very strange thing because people think that it is me. So when they meet me, they're disappointed invariably that I'm not as smart and good-looking as the guy on TV. No, I can you know, understand that. I understand how they feel. Yeah, <laughs> you're like because I'm disappointed right now. <laughs> uh, no, I think there is a. Dis I think that like people sometimes want me to be snarky or something. You know, yes. like I had a woman come up to me at the Republican National Convention. Well, I was like just hanging out in the bar. It was like a party, or whatever, and I was just like being. I wasn't in Daily Show mode at all. Right. I was just me, like hanging out, and she recognized me, and she was kind of like, "Hey, you know, how do you like Minneapolis?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's fine. You know, I haven't really seen that much of it yet." Blah blah blah. blah. Like a normal answer. Yes. And she was so just. She was like, and she literally said to me, she was like, "Come on, say something snarky." And I was like, "It's a piece of shit. I don't know. What do you want me to say? <laughs> yeah, you know, like it was literally." And I realized, like, oh, that's so weird. Like people. Because they think you are that person, and 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 except for it's like um, you can't be a three-dimensional human, and then you want to be like, but I'm so traumatized having to speak with you right now that I can't say anything right. snarky. Right. I'm crying yeah, inside yeah. because you asked me such an inane question that I don't right. even know you. Right, you know. So it's yeah. I think I think, but that's it is a weird thing, and and I I have to say that people have come up to me at times and kind of just sort of said you know like like they expect that daily show persona to like to have that banter with the daily show persona like one time i was out 
like um and I, you know when you're in your life right you're just like oh i'm just me like in my pathetic life you know just going to Dwayne reed at two in the you morning you can just say i also in my pathetic life not assuming that all of us have <laughs> shared problems but yeah. right right of course right so uh i'll just say like uh i go to Dwayne reed at two o'clock in the morning sometimes and pick up a salad which is pretty pathetic. It's probably where you recognize me from. You're like, I know you. Who is that? And then you're like, oh, wait, Katie's actually just that weird woman. That's all the time we have for Employee of the Month for this episode. But you can download more of our episodes at either SoundCloud or if you go to iTunes, you can subscribe for free. Thank you to our sponsor, Audible.com. I also want to thank Jason Shabiro at Sirius, Alex Mizrahi, Nate and John at UCB and everyone at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, as well as the phenomenal people who work on Employee of the Month and are incredibly talented artists in their own right. Kim Uccelli, Damian Strange, Ian Mazoff, our band, The New Guys, uh, Arthur Lewis and Shockwave, as well as Rob Lathan, Farley Katz, and all of you at home. I'm so grateful um, that you guys are tuning in definitely check out more episodes and you can go to the website employeeofthemonthshow.com to nominate someone including yourself donate or um, if you just need another way to pass the time it's there for you it's a resource as am I I'm Katie Lazarus thanks so much for listening talk to you soon 